Well, it is great to be with all of you today, and today I get to tell you about something brand new that is really awesome, and so I want each of you to take a moment and take out your cell phone, take out, um, if you have a tablet, whatever your mobile device of choice is, take that out right now, and look for this app. Hopefully you have downloaded this already. Uh, if you have not, go to your uh, Google Play Store, go to the Apple iTunes Store. This app is absolutely free, and you want to search for the app called Church Center. And when you do, there'll be a couple of questions. Those of you who are at home watching right now, you can do this also. Even if you don't live anywhere near Metro Detroit, um, you can do this. Look for the Church Center app. It's free. And when you log in, just type in Faith Troy, and you'll see our church pop up. Now, for those of you who are already logged in and you already have this app, then you have just discovered that starting this weekend and every weekend on that Church Center app, you will find a digital bulletin. You'll find our announcements. You'll find a digital outline. You'll find quick links to previous sermons, you'll find links to our YouTube channel, plus a whole lot more that will be there every single week so that you uh, can find it easier and so that you can have it easier to connect and to plug in to everything that's happening here at Faith. Well, today we are beginning a brand new series together, and um, the series is called Hiding Place. And so to start us off this weekend, I want to ask, I want to begin by asking each of you to kind of use your imagination for just a couple of moments. Right? So everybody, I know I just told you to get on your phones and now you can come on back up here for a minute or two. Um, so what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that it's 20, 30, maybe 50 years from now and you are looking back on your life, right? So you're 70, you're 80, uh, maybe even 100 years old and you're looking back on your life and in that moment you're thinking to yourself, okay, I am so thankful Right? I am so thankful um, that I spent my life following Jesus because. And see, this is actually a hugely important question because many times the answer to this question um, is not what we think it is. Right? So in other words, um, what, what's the payoff? Right? What's the reward? What, what, what is, um, what, what's the promise? Well, here's one of the things it's not, which is kind of surprising maybe for some of us. The answer isn't um, that I'm going to be a better person. Right? Although, if you spend your life following Jesus, you will be a better person. We've talked about this before. You're going to be kinder. Um, you're going to be more generous. You're going to forgive people quicker. Um, you, you will certainly be a better person if you spend your life following Jesus. But when you read the Gospels, uh, you never see Jesus saying, hey, I want you to follow me so that you can be a better person. Right? So, so that's not the answer, even though um, the truth is many of the best people I know um, are followers of Jesus, right? So, um, so that's not it. Um, the other thing that you discover, um, and this one's a little bit surprising, especially depending on how you were raised, um, is that you do not find Jesus, you don't find um, Jesus ever saying, okay, um, well, you know, it's so that you can go to heaven someday, right? When, when you read the Gospels, um, and again, this is surprising for some of us, um, you don't actually see Jesus saying um, that he wants you to follow him so that you can go to heaven someday. In fact, Jesus says very little uh, in the Gospels about heaven. He actually says a whole lot about the kingdom of God, and he tells us that he has brought the kingdom of God with him. Um, so you don't actually have to go anywhere uh, for you to begin to experience um, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So that's um, interesting, and it's kind of surprising um, for many of us. Um, the, the other thing that you discover um, is that the answer to this question isn't, um, you know, so that I can have a, a pain-free or a problem-free life, 
right? And this is interesting because this whole idea gets mixed in with Jesus all the time, right? And so um, because of that, I want to take just a couple of minutes and I want to clarify a couple things for you and then we'll, we'll move on. But listen, anytime somebody says to you, um, listen, if you always do these things, then you can always expect this outcome, Right? If you memorize this prayer, if you repeat after me, if you say these words, if you pray this way, um, then I guarantee that God is going to do something for you. Right? Anytime you hear someone saying that, understand um, that is not Jesus. Right? That's not um, Christianity. That is actually called magic. Right? That's what that is. Magic, right? magic is when you do the same thing all the time expecting that something is going to happen. That something's going to work out for you a certain way. And see, here's the thing to know about all magic. All magic actually works some of the time, right? All good luck charms, all lucky charms, all magic, not the cereal, all magic, right? All superstitions, all of it works some of the time. And and see, the problem is, unfortunately for for some of us, we were actually raised in an environment, maybe in a home, um, where magic thinking kind of got mixed in with Jesus thinking. And, And so... Pretty soon what we end up doing is kind of um, trying to figure out the formula or the secret code or whatever it is to get God to bless us and, and give us a, a lucky life, right? But see, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus did not come to earth to be your magician. And whenever you hear people say, um, okay, well, we're going to take what Jesus says and here's what the Bible says and here's what Scripture says. We're going to kind of weave all this together and, you know, come up with a formula um, and, and so that you, you know that God will always do this for you. Anytime you hear something like that, just understand that is not Jesus. And so today and for the next couple of weeks that we're going to be together, um, we're actually going to take some time and we're going to talk about one of the most um, overlooked and missed um, promises that is made by Jesus anywhere in the scripture. It's one of the rewards. It's one of the most amazing rewards for a lifetime of following Jesus. And for many of us, um, the truth is this is going to be brand new for us. But see, the interesting thing is, is once we unsurface this together, because I'm not just going to tell you about it, right? I want you to actually discover this. So once we discover this together and you start to read the Gospels, which I hope you do, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Once you kind of see this and discover it, um, you're going to see this everywhere. And and see, part of the problem and part of the reason why we miss this so much, why we miss this promise, is because it's easy for us to forget that Jesus was not captured as he was trying to flee Jerusalem. Right? Jesus wasn't discovered hiding out in the caves in the desert of En Gedi where um, David hid from Saul. Jesus wasn't captured in some port city trying to sail his way uh, across the Mediterranean. Jesus walked into the city of Jerusalem under his own power, knowing exactly what was about to happen to him and what would be his fate. Right? And see, part of the problem with this and the reason we miss this um, another part of the problem is, um, is frankly, um, the fact that there is so much art, right? There is so much medieval art um, as it relates to Jesus, right? And I don't, I'm not faulting the artists. Every artist at some level is kind of a victim of, of their own time period. Um, I understand that. But listen, if you grew up in church, um, if you've been following Jesus since you were a little child, even for many of you, if you started following Jesus as an adult, Right, And I say to you, and if I ask you to kind of think of Jesus or picture Jesus, um, chances are someone or something that looks like this is what comes to mind, right? And see, the truth is, this guy couldn't pull off what Jesus pulled off. 
right? Do not miss this. Your Savior, your Savior, the Jesus of history, your Savior was incredibly bold. We, we don't even have a context for this. Your Savior walked in to the middle of the Jewish temple and he overturned tables for money changers and he threw everybody out of the court of the Gentiles because people were selling animals that were personally offensive to him as the son of the living God. They were trying to pass off these weak, sickly animals for sacrifice. Right? People, insiders, were charging outsiders huge amounts of money simply to be able to worship God. And, and so Jesus, he, he turned over the tables and he chased all of the money changers out of the court of the Gentiles. And when the leaders of the temple confronted Jesus and, and tried to figure out what Jesus is doing, this is so interesting. They did not say to Jesus, hey, what do you think you're doing? Instead, they looked at Jesus, they looked into his eyes, they heard his voice, they saw his countenance, and they said to him, who do you think you are? Because the person of Jesus, he just overflowed and he oozed authority. And so the religious leaders in the temple that day, they looked at Jesus and they said, by whose authority are you doing these things. Your Savior was bold. Your Savior was fearless. Your Savior was a refuge and a hiding place in times of trouble. And listen, this guy, this image, this picture, this idea that so many people, so many of us have of Jesus, he is none of those things. And what's so amazing about the promise that we're going to discover together and that we're going to talk about together over these next several weeks is that it is just as significant for us in our world today as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus first talk about, talked about it. And so instead of kind of looking at maybe a familiar section of scripture where you could say to yourself, okay, I've heard that before or I've read that before, um, instead as we kind of unsurface this and we begin to discover this and we start this conversation today, I chose a more obscure section uh, of one of the gospels in a conversation between Jesus and his apostles um, where we discover the place that Jesus actually wants to lead every single one of us to personally. Now, let me give you one last bit of, of context um, before we kind of jump into this. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10 if you want to follow along. Everywhere that Jesus went, there were three groups of people, right? And so um, the first group of people that would follow Jesus were the people who lived in whatever city or village or town that Jesus just happened to be visiting in. And Jesus would show up, he would teach, and everybody would kind of come out of their homes. They'd follow him around for a little while. And then when Jesus left, they just went back to their normal lives, the second group of people who followed Jesus were people who followed Jesus everywhere he went, right? And we actually meet some of these people in the Gospels. These are people like Mary, like Martha, like Lazarus, right? These were Jesus' close personal friends, and they would follow Jesus from city to city, but they weren't the apostles, right? They weren't, um, they, they weren't the 12 famous guys that, that we all hear about and that we all know. And that was Jesus' third group, right? That was his inner circle, those were the people, those were the men that Jesus was entrusting his message and his ministry to. And in the event that we're going to read about together today, Jesus has just chosen these 12 men. And so he sits them all down and he says, okay, now here's what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to send you out to preach the very same message that I've been preaching. And he says to them, I'm even going to empower you to do some of the same miraculous things that you've seen me do. 
And Jesus gives them all of these very, very specific instructions. He, he says, okay, here's how much money to bring. Here's what I want you to pack. Here's how long I want you to stay. This is what I want you to do um, if certain things happen to you while you're, while you're out. And then at the end of this conversation, right, Jesus says something very surprising to his apostles. And it's in this section of scripture that we actually begin to discover um, this amazing place, th this very interesting place, um, this overlooked promise that Jesus makes to all of us about where he wants to lead us to personally. Now, here's some good news about this. What Jesus says will happen to his 12 apostles, that's not going to happen to you. Right? But the promise that he makes, that is for you, just like it was for them. So Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 16, Jesus looks at his apostles and he says this. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. So therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Right? So right away, um, they're beginning to understand this is not exactly the pep talk that they were expecting from Jesus. Be on your guard, Jesus says, because you're going to be handed over to the local councils. And they're going to flog you in the synagogues. Right? It's like flogged in the synagogues. I mean, those words just kind of hung there in, in silence. And see, what's so interesting about this is that in this moment, um, Jesus is kind of looking into the future. Right? Because the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all about Jesus, but the book of Acts are about these guys. And sure enough, what we discover is that in the book of Acts, everything that Jesus said would happen, it did happen. But see, in this moment, they're just completely perplexed by this because, because they are just insanely popular. Everywhere that they go, there are thousands and thousands of people, and the closer you are to Jesus, the more popular you are. And now all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, Jesus is saying, okay, no, this is all going to change. On my account, he tells them, you're going to be brought before governors and kings, which is exactly what happened, as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Because the apostles would be witnesses not only of what Jesus said, but also of what he did. And when they arrest you, Right? Not if. When. Right? When they arrest you. Right? And it's like, okay, Jesus, wait a minute. T time out. Time out. Wait a second. I thought you said that we were part of a movement. Jesus, I thought you said that the kingdom of God was coming. What do you, what do you mean, Jesus, when they arrest you? What, 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 are, what are you even talking about right now? When they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. Now, I don't know what these guys were thinking, but let me tell you what I would be thinking in this moment. I would be thinking in this moment, okay, listen, Jesus, I, I, when this happens, I'm not going to be worried about what to say or how to say it. I'm going to be worried about this thing right here, right, that I just got arrested. Jesus, w what are you even talking about right now? When, when we're arrested, what we say, that's going to be the least of our concerns, at that time, Jesus says, at that time when you're arrested, at that time when you don't know what to say, right? At that time, Jesus says, you will be given, you will be given what to say. 
And it's like, okay, Jesus, wait a minute. At that time that I'm arrested, I don't want to be given what's to say. I want to be given a get-out-of-jail-free card. Jesus, come on, that's what I want to be given at that time. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but it will be the Spirit, don't miss this, of your Father who is speaking through you. And it's like, okay, Jesus, hang, hang, hang on a second here. I, let me just make sure I, I understand what you're saying to me. Jesus, you're saying that we're going to be arrested, we're going to be tried, we're going to be flogged in, in the synagogues, and in, somehow in all of that, you're saying that in that, Jesus, that God, my heavenly Father, is going to show up? And not only is God, my heavenly Father, going to show up, um, he, he's going to be so uh, connected to what's going on, he's going to be so involved in what's actually going on, that he's not only going to give me what to say, but he's going to actually be speaking through me? I mean, Jesus, come on, if God, my heavenly Father, knows that this is going to happen, why doesn't God, my heavenly Father, just get me unarrested? Or better yet, why doesn't he prevent me from being arrested in the first place? I get it, Jesus, you're saying that I need to have confidence that, that God is with me, but this is not how I want God to be with me. Jesus continues, he tells us, brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death for following Jesus. And then Jesus looks at them and he kind of summarizes everything that he just said. He says, you will be hated by everybody because of me. I mean, imagine having Jesus look at you and say those words personally and individually to you, that you will be hated by everyone because of me. I mean, Jesus, this doesn't even make any sense. You're saying this, but everybody loves us right now. Jesus, everywhere we go, people are literally handing us money and they're handing us food and they're saying, hey, can you give this to Jesus? And Jesus, you're saying that all this is going to change? And when it changes, we're going to be hated? And Jesus just goes on and on and on. And you can read the rest of this for yourself in, in Matthew chapter 10. But when he gets to the end, Right? When he gets to the end, what we discover is that Jesus takes us to this very strange place. This place, actually, that he wants every, to bring every single one of us to individually. Jesus brings us to this place of tension that all of us, right, all of us have already wrestled with to some degree or another if you have any faith whatsoever in God. Because Jesus says, okay, here's all the bad things that are going to happen to you. But do not be afraid. And it's like, okay, wait a second, Jesus, you, you just told us that we're going to be arrested. Yeah, and when you are arrested, do not be afraid. Jesus, you just told us that we're going to be beaten and flogged. Yeah, and when you are beaten and flogged, do not be afraid. Jesus, you just said that we're going to go on trial for our lives and that everybody is going to turn against us. Yes, and in the midst of that, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill or cannot touch the soul. Rather, he says, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body 
in hell. Which is so much easier to say, right, than to do, isn't it? And see, what we discover, what did we discover? This is what Jesus is trying to, to teach us, right? That in a world that's absolutely filled with uncertainty, with fear, with terrorism, with violence, with racial tension and broken families and broken relationships and broken homes and corruption and, and wars and rumors of wars. Right? These, these words, I mean, come on, think about it. These words, do not be afraid. I mean, they are both ludicrous and amazing at the very same time, aren't they? And yet it's into this, right? It's into this moment that Jesus brings his apostles and he brings every single one of us. And he actually begins to introduce an idea that Jesus will come back to over and over and over again all throughout the Gospels. And see, here's the good news for you and the good news for me. Right, these 12 guys, the guys who are actually closest to Jesus, they did not get this until the very end. Right, this wasn't like one lecture and they wrote it all down and they're like, okay, Jesus, we're good. Got it. What else you got for us? That is not what happened. Right? Jesus would come back to this over and over and over again. And what Jesus was teaching, what he, where the place he wants to take us to, the place he wants to take each of us to personally, is this place where we come to realize that, that whatever it is that we fear the most in this life, that when we follow Jesus, whatever it is that you fear the most, that thing it will never have the last word in your life or about your life. Because, Jesus says, don't you know that two sparrows, aren't they sold for a penny? And it's like, okay, Jesus, what are you even talking about right now? What does this even mean? And Jesus says, okay, well, isn't it true? I mean, think about it. Isn't it true that sparrows are almost kind of worthless? Like, isn't it true that you can, you can buy a couple of sparrows for almost nothing? Yet not one of them, not one of them, not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head, they're all numbered, every single one of them. And so don't be afraid. You are worth more. You are worth so much more than many sparrows. But, but, but Jesus, you just said, I know. But, but Jesus, you, you just told us, I, I know. But, but, but Jesus, you, you said, I, I know. And in the midst of that, and in spite of that, Jesus is saying, do not be afraid. You are worth more. You are worth so much more than many sparrows. See, this is the place where Jesus brings every single one of us as his followers to. He takes us to this place where our faith in our Heavenly Father is so big and it is so strong. He, he takes us to this place where every single one of us, where we feel so uh, personally connected to, and so secure in our Heavenly Father's love that even in the midst of circumstances um, that, that make it look like maybe God has forgotten about us or if we're honest, maybe even make us wonder if God even knows our name to begin with. That in the midst of those kind of terrifying, fear-filled circumstances, you would actually be able to hear your Heavenly Father whisper to you, Fear not. Fear not. For I am with you. 
And see, I don't know about you, but this is the kind of faith that I want. And this is the place that I want Jesus to take me. A place that is so confident in my heavenly Father's love. You are so confident in your heavenly Father's love that you know that regardless of whatever it is that you face or experience in this life, that your heavenly Father is with you. Because, see, the message of Jesus is not and was not, don't be afraid, I won't let bad things happen to you. That's magic. The message of Jesus is, do not be afraid when bad things happen to you. That's confidence. That's faith. That's trust in your heavenly Father. It is a confidence that is so big, that is so certain of God's love, that is so sure of God's protection. It is a faith that is so big it actually overwhelms and it overshadows our fear. It is a faith so big that it becomes our hiding place in times of trouble and a shelter in the midst of storms. It's the place that your Heavenly Father wants to take you. It's the place that He wants to take me. It's the place where every single one of us, we actually wake up every single day so confident that your Heavenly Father is with you that you wake up every single day and you can say honestly and truthfully, um, what, what is it that I will do today? Father, what is it that, that I would do? What should I do today knowing that you are with me when I face the attorney? Heavenly Father, what decision will I make today in light of what it is that my ex is requiring of me? Heavenly Father, what is it that you want me to do today, even though I know exactly what my employees are saying about me? Heavenly Father, what would you have me do today in light of what my boss is telling me to do? Heavenly Father, what would someone who is me do if they were absolutely confident that the God who can protect the soul in spite of what someone might do to this body is with me? And Jesus says, listen, when you follow me, that's the place where we're going. It's the place the Apostle Paul tells us about in Romans chapter 8 when he says this. He says, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Who shall separate us from the love of Jesus? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future or any power, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate you, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus our Lord. This is the place where you, where I, are absolutely confident that the God who can protect my soul in spite of what someone might do to my body is with me. Not a place of denial. 
Not a place of hocus pocus, right? Not a place to figure out the code and the secret formula so you can somehow get God to do whatever it is that you want God to do. Jesus says, listen, I want to take you to a place where your faith in me and your faith in your heavenly father is so big and so confident, even in the midst of circumstances that should terrify you, that you will not be afraid. And see, this is the promise that Jesus makes over and over and over again. You've heard this so many times. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us this. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Even when you don't have enough food to eat, you do not need to be afraid. Even when you do not have enough to drink, you do not need to be afraid. Even where you, when you do not know where you're going to spend the night, you do not need to be afraid because your confidence is, is in the one um, who protects the soul and, and your confidence is not in the one who can destroy the body but can't touch the soul. Your confidence is in the one who knows your name and who shields your soul. So that even in the midst of circumstances when everybody else is terrified, you will not be afraid. That is the place your Heavenly Father wants to take you. One day Jesus and the apostles, um, they get into a boat. And they go to sail off across um, the Sea of Galilee. This is in Mark chapter 4. Um, you probably remember this, right? And a bunch of these guys are fishermen, right? So water, wind, and waves, not a big deal for them. A storm um, kind of kicks up, right? But they've been through dozens of storms, countless numbers of storms before. And, and Jesus is asleep. Remember the story? And the boat begins to, to fill with water. And so the disciples, um, they wake Jesus up and, and they say to him, Teacher, right? Remember this teacher? Um, don't you care if we drown? Right, which is so interesting because in the Greek it doesn't actually say drown. It says perish. Because all of us have our own version of this, don't we? Teacher, don't you care if we perish? Jesus, don't you care about what's happening to me right now? Jesus, don't you care? Jesus wakes up, right, calms the storm. And then remember what he said to his disciples after that? He looks at them and Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And it's like, okay, Jesus, wait a minute. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe you weren't paying attention, Jesus. There was like a storm a minute ago. And we were afraid. Jesus, that's why we were afraid. And Jesus is like, I know. I know about the storm. I know that you were worried you would drown. You know, the other thing I know is I know that only four of you guys actually know how to swim, and I know none of you is actually strong enough to make it to the other side anyway. But that's not my question. Here's my question. Why are you so afraid? Right? Isn't that strange? And see, this is the place. Right? This is the place that Jesus brings us as his followers to over and over and over again. I know. I, I know. I know that we're all about to go under. But why were you so afraid? Do you still not believe that your Heavenly Father cares about you more than sparrows? But Jesus, why the storm? Why your lack of faith? After this happens, Jesus calms the storm. 
Mark gives us this very interesting little detail, right? It's so easy to miss. Mark tells us that after the storm was calm, after the water was calm again, that the disciples, they were terrified. In other words, their fear of the storm was here. And now after the storm has been calmed, their fear of Jesus is up here. Right? In the Greek, it's actually so interesting because it says that the disciples, that they feared a great fear. Because in that moment, they actually got a snapshot. They got a picture of what it means to fear the one who can control the soul and not to fear anyone or anything when all they can do is simply harm your body. That I can be in the midst of fearful, terrifying circumstances and still not be afraid. And isn't it interesting, I mean, if you stop and think about this for a minute, I mean, isn't it interesting that, that the goal, that the place that Jesus would want to bring us, that the, the destination of a lifetime of following him, isn't it so interesting that the goal would be this place of overwhelming faith? I mean, like of all the things that Jesus could want for a lifetime of following him, isn't it interesting that this is the destination that he wants to bring you to? Have you ever thought about that? Why? It's kind of weird, isn't it? This kind of faith, faith that actually overshadows and overpowers fear, th this kind of faith it's just honoring to God, right? If I, as a parent, if I were to hear my two sons having a conversation, one of my sons having a conversation maybe with some friends, and if they were to say to their friend, okay, yeah, I know that's what my dad did, um, but I trust my dad, I know that he'll do what he said he was gonna do. Right, do you know how honoring that would be to me as a father and as a parent to hear my kids talking about me that way? See, this kind of faith that overwhelms and overshadows our fear, it is just so honoring to our Heavenly Father. The, the other thing about this kind of faith, this is the only kind of faith that truly frees you to love other people. This is the kind of faith that will free you to love an ex-spouse, an ex-husband, an ex-wife. This is the kind of faith that will free you to love that person that's just on your case constantly. Remember when Jesus said, I, I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we hear that and we think, okay, Jesus, maybe you're not following here, but the people who persecute us, they like persecute us. Like they want to hurt us, Jesus. They have like power over us. And what are you talking about, Jesus? You want us to, to love our enemies. This is the only kind of faith that will free you to love the people who hate you who persecute you. In fact, it's this kind of faith that will help you to understand what it is that the Apostle John meant when he said that there is no fear in love. That when you, um, when you actually get rid of fear, right? When you, when you get rid of fear, that you will discover that you have a capacity to love people, even people who hate you. When you get rid of the fear of the people who can hurt you or hurt your body in this life or the things that can hurt you or hurt your body in this life, you discover that your capacity for love is so great 
In fact, not only do you discover that there is no fear in love, you also discover this, that perfect love, it actually drives out fear. Because fear and love are incompatible. And see, Jesus says, listen, I have come here to love the whole world. And so as my followers, your job it is to love the whole world. And the only way that you can love the whole world is to get rid of the fear of the people and the things that can hurt you in this life. Because even though in our world uncertainty is unavoidable, if you're a follower of Jesus, fear can actually be optional. Is that amazing? That's the place. Your Heavenly Father, that's the place your Savior wants to bring you. Now today, I've asked uh, that we close our time together um, with a, a song. Our team's going to lead us in. And my prayer is that for you, that this song um, would either be a reminder or an invitation. A reminder that you already belong to Jesus or an invitation that you, in fact, can belong to Jesus. That you do not need to change anything about who you are. You don't need to do anything. That Jesus simply gives you the invitation to receive him as your Savior. And so as we sing and as we worship together today, as we close our time, I would just simply ask that you listen to the words of this song and you let the Holy Spirit remind you that you belong, you can belong to Jesus.